Welcome back. So excited to be doing this again. Yeah. We're actually doing this episode together. In person. Yeah, which doesn't happen too often. And it's very appropriate for this episode because this episode is all about meaningful conversations. Yeah. And they're important to do in person. Often we can't, but um, it's really special when you can do them in person because there's nothing like communicating in the flesh. Yeah, I think we've learned that, especially in the last year or two. The, the difference being in, you know, in the same room versus being on Zoom or on the phone. There's definitely like an energy in that space. Yes, so if you ever feel like you want to connect to others in a more meaningful way, keep listening. Right. According to research, people who have genuine and meaningful conversations are actually twice as happy as those who don't. Many of us resort to small talk or surface questions in our conversations, whether at the dinner table, going out with friends or family, or really any social setting. Right. And, you know, surface talk can be appropriate sometimes, but at the same time, it can limit us from developing deeper and more meaningful relationships with others. And one meaningful conversation really can alter the course of your life. And Rivka, I feel like you and I can attest to that. Totally. We're going to talk about this today because Ida and I have personally experienced this and in, a, in our introduction, which you hear before at the beginning of every episode, when we say it all started in an Uber, that's where the meaningful conversation sparked the ideas which led us to create this platform. Right, and, and it's specifically this episode, Rivka, which was your idea, which I love. And, um, you know, we've been actually wanting to do this episode. You know, we wanted to introduce ourselves to you. It's sort of like a trailer episode, but at the same time, share some questions with you our listeners that you can use to create your own meaningful experiences with others, whether it's close family members, friends, or even acquaintances. You really never know the impact of one single question. I love the idea of doing this at a dinner table, like especially with close family who you spend a lot of time with. I do it with my husband, with my kids. And, you know, if you have teens, you know, coming from a place of curiosity, it, it kind of lowers defenses and it, and it builds connection between people. Yeah, and with new people as well, like you and I, Ida. We didn't know each other that well before we met in Uber. And then this podcast happened because of our meaningful conversation. The proof lies in the pudding. It can make a tremendous difference. And throughout this episode, you will hear how this all came to be through the meaningful questions we share with you um, that you can share with the people that surround you and the people you come across. So today we bring you a related trailer episode um, and we introduce you to some new meaningful questions that we hope will help bring more joy and meaning into your life. When we were discussing during this episode, I decided to test out one of the questions at my Shabbos table. Uh, we'll, we'll do the question that I asked as our first question. What do you think about that? That's great. I love that. You know, I actually had this big table with 25 people and some of them were my family and wow. some of them were people that didn't know each other. Maybe. You know the quote from John F. Kennedy? Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. So instead of asking people, um, how's life treating you, you can ask, how are you treating life? And so we went around the table and asked each person, how are you treating life? And it really was a way to get to know, everyone got to know each other that way. You know, you kind of see, okay, what are you doing with your life these days or what are you working on in your life in some way? And it was amazing. There was such great energy and we all learned from each other. You know, I was listening to, you know, some people talk at the Shabbos table. And I'm like, yeah, that's something I want to work on too. Or that's something I'd like to take on. And everyone felt so uplifted by the end of the conversation right. that everyone contributed to. It's a great question because the questions in itself represents like a perspective shift. What, what do we normally ask? Like, how's life, right? Or how's life treating you? I feel like that's the first question that comes to mind in that like that context, right? How's life treating you? And the minute you ask that question, what do I think about? Well, okay, what's happened to me? What am I dealing with? What cards have I been dealt? Whereas this question is changing the way I understand my relationship with my life. It's not about what life is bringing me. It's what, what I'm doing in my life to make a difference. Yeah. It's a great flip. Yeah. Like it's not about me. Right. And the ego and pointing fingers, I think that's what it will often lead to. I think of this quote a lot that is come, definitely comes to mind with this question on humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, yes. right? This is not really about me. It's about something much bigger than me. Yeah. 
So I don't know so, if we're answering the question or we're, we're going to discuss. But the can question. I ask you personally, Ida, how are you treating life? I kind of know already, but I want to hear just something. So <laughs> just share one thing in how you're treating life. <laughs> There's a question of how I'm currently treating life or how I aspire to treat life. Yeah. I think we're, I'm always looking to grow and become better. Yeah. What I'll say is that I'm treating life like it's on loan and you know, whatever talents or skills I have are not mine to keep. Um, they're meant to be shared. And I really see every person, every individual as a unique untapped resource. And you don't know what impact you can have in the world until you start digging and exploring. And there are so many talented people who are held back by this feeling that life needs to give them something as opposed to the other way around. So I guess I'll answer the question with a question in typical Jewish fashion. The question really is, what is the best use of your time or my time and energy? And how can I ensure that I'm showing up to the things that are most important to me in my life or to you, to, you, to the things that are most important to you? So the answer will be very different, you know, for me and someone else maybe, but at the end of the day, it's about, you know, how can you serve your purpose best, whether right. it's through parenting, community engagement, or um, advocacy, whatever it is. So, so can you share yeah. one, just one thing that you're doing that you, that just from the top of your head? Okay. I'm taking opportunities that are outside my comfort zone with the intention of hopefully, you know, working toward my purpose and potential and hopefully in the process, making a difference. So I don't know if that's something specific. I think it's just, it's just, a per, it's a perspective. I think that I'm bringing right. to life that I think is important for me. And I think for many people pushing past your comfort. Yeah. Zone. Yeah. Amazing. So Rivka, if I were to turn the question back to you, how are you treating life? Well, it's such a big question. So when you ask this question, you can just tell the person, that they can share some small step or something they're working on or something that they are doing. Because I remember when I asked this question at Ashaba's table, one person said, I feel like I'm, it's arrogant of me to share how I'm treating life. You know what I mean? So he just kind of shared something that he's working on. But I don't think it's it's arrogant at all. It's just something that you're, a way that you're contributing to the world. But maybe they're misunderstanding the question. Right. I wonder if that's part of the reason this question is so important. Yeah. Does someone at the table say something that you felt was impactful? Yeah. Someone at the table said that this year she, um, so the way she's going to contribute to life is by respecting others, you know, looking at the people that she respects and, and taking from them what she can learn from them and how she can apply that into her life. Another person had said that um, they want to, they're going to push past their comfort zone by being a bit more adventurous because they're very straight and they feel like um, just by embracing the twists and turns of life, by thinking of this thought that life is an adventure and and embrace that feeling, I felt like that was really nice, you know? And so that made me think, that made me kind of, because I had first just shared something new that I'm taking on this year in my work and that made me think of things that I would like to work on in my life and I thought I'd share something that I'm working on to treat life well, and that is being present with my kids and in general. And also being on social media, I had taken a little bit of a break with my two daughters' weddings. And when I left social media, I felt so present in my own life. But then coming back to social media, I realized I do do need to be on there for my work and um, like finding a balance of being on social media and at the same time being present with my family is something I'm working on this year. And I actually, we had done an episode with Rabbi Taub. I did the, his parenting course once and I, he's doing it right now again. So I, I've taken it again so that I can really internalize being a conscious parent and being a present parent. Yeah, and I feel like that's a way to contribute to life because our children are a future and that is really a way that um, I feel like I'm doing something for life. Um, he actually said, I don't know if he said this in our episode, but Chase Taub said, most of the problems that people cause are because they have problems. And most of the reason why people have problems is because of the things that happened to them in their childhood. And most of the problems that people have from their childhood is because of the things their parents did or didn't do. And if we could have that in mind, and I think being a present parent is something that could really be a gift to love. This is why conversations are so important. Look at how we each brought our own perspective here to the table with the same question. And I honestly didn't think to to go there. And now that you mentioned it, at the end of the day, if you think about what's the best use of your time and energy, I'm just going to speak from my own experience. The only role 
where I'm irreplaceable is in my role as a mother to my kids. And to me, the best use of my energy is in that space. And I really appreciate that you mentioned your role as a parent. I think it's something front and center um, as the best use of my time and energy. Mm -hmm. And it's just a question of like how to be present. Because, you know, yeah, it's interesting. It's ironic because we're busy contributing to the world in other ways. And then sometimes being a parent can get lost and we get distracted thinking about those other things. Right. But being present as a parent is really the most important way to contribute to life. Yeah. And we want to recognize yeah. our roles and be present where we need to be. Yeah. So let, let's share the next question that, mm-hmm. you know, can be the opportunity to connect in a meaningful way to one another. And the question is, and I'm going to ask you this, Rivka. Yay. <laughs> what's your favorite attribute in a person? So just spontaneously, I will say generosity. I grew up with it. I grew up with it at home. It's something I always look back and admire and, and admire it now till today. Uh, both my parents in their own way were very generous. And my father, it was with charity. He gave a lot of tzedakah. Um, my mom in the fact that she always had an open home and um, always took her time to welcome people in, into our home. And um, whether it was with food or her time just to listen to people um, and being thoughtful in so many different ways. And also just from watching my mother, I feel like the woman plays a big role in when she encourages her husband to give, it really enhances the giving and the generosity. That's so I agree with you. I just, yeah, my father, he always, when he, Hashem had blessed, has had, had blessed him and may he continue to bless him in the future um, with great wealth. And w- as his children, we always felt that he looked at it, which he did as a gift from Hashem and that he was going to give it to others. And that was his purpose was to give it as charity and give to the world people who are in need and, and to spread the light of Torah in the world. I mean, long before I knew you, I knew who your parents were. I think most people in the Chabad world knew them. Um, and that's what they were known for. Their generosity. It's interesting because, you know, I was raised in a home where giving was like a non-negotiable and it was something that was just very ingrained in us. Like it was something that we just simply did in the same way we brushed our teeth. Um, like people would come and we'd have like food distributions and all these things going on. So I feel like you and I, um, you know, even though we had very different upbringings, we were both raised in homes where giving and charity were just the forefront. Yeah. 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 But it's not always like that. It's not always that way. And but I really feel like even having seen the research on giving, um, people who give are, are essentially, they, they experience greater well-being. They do. So even for that, I mean, for someone who maybe has some, some level of reluctance when it comes to giving and just to try to give and see what that does. I mean, they did a study where they, they divided uh, this big group into two and they had one, they gave everybody a certain amount of money and they had half the group spend the money on themselves and the other half spend the money on someone else. And then they measured their happiness levels like shortly after. And they found that the people who gave the money away experienced more happiness than the ones who spent it on themselves. It's give and get. Yeah. And it's really nice to be able to look back and be proud of that aspect in the way you grew up. And it's something that I've always been proud of and that I hope to live up to in my own life. It doesn't have to be through money. It, it can be through time, through words, through food, through many different avenues. There's so many ways to be generous. 100%. And so, yeah, I agree with you that that's a very, very important attribute. Okay, so Ida, what is your favorite attribute in person? I'm kind of between two attributes that I think are related, but not ex- not so much the same. Um, empathy and understanding. The reason I can't really choose between the two is because I feel like empathy means I could step into your shoes, stand your experience. But understanding really implies, even if I can't empathize with you, your point of view or who you are or why you do or say what you do or say, I understand that our differences. Right. So I think very often we get into conflicts because we don't understand the perspective of another person when it's so far removed from ours. Even though we're different and we see things differently, we can still respect each other. Right. If that makes any sense. Yes, that I feel makes like I ramble a little bit. 
I love, that's attractive to me too. Okay. Actually, well, the next question is similar but different. So you could really ask either one or you could ask both. Um, what do you think makes a person most attractive and how attractive are you on that scale? Ooh. <laughs> Who's going first? <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay. Just by the way, guys, we wanted to surprise each other. We have not told each other. I mean, we know each other. We're friends, but we're still going to learn from each other through this episode. We're, we're still going to be just as surprised as you. <laughs> yeah, so what do you think makes a person most attractive and how attractive are you on that scale? Okay. Um, you know what? Actually, this morning I saw a post by your sister, Hannah, Hannah. <laughs> and I reposted it because it's let me just quickly pull it up here because I have to say it. it it's a quote by a six-year-old. Did you see it? A six-year-old. Yes, girl. I saw my sister post that. Okay, she said love. It's about love, actually. Okay. Um, but love is when you're missing some of your teeth, but you're not afraid to smile because you know your friends will still love you, even though some of you is missing. That came to mind. I'll tell you why. Because on days when you might not feel your best where I don't feel my best. How does that change who I am and what I do? So for example, you know, when I was younger, I had acne and I would break out a lot. And when I would have breakouts, I wouldn't want to go out. Mm-hmm. I would still sometimes go out. I put cover up on, but the point is that I didn't feel great because I didn't like the way I looked. And therefore I was choosing to not go out and have a great time and enjoy other people's company for a reason that, wasn't compelling enough now looking back. So I think to answer your question, and you said attractive. So I feel like that came to mind. Right. Usually attractive can mean many different things, but yes. people who are focused on being who they are, despite what's going on, that to me is attractive. Someone who could show up no matter what, I, you know, I want to have a great time. And so even if, you know, I'm having a bad hair day or I'm having a bad breakout, I want to enjoy myself. I'm going to go out. So I think a person who's grounded in their values yeah. and is able to make decisions based on their values and not based on what's going on in the moment. I think humility can tie in here too. I think that to me um, is, attractive. is attractive, right? So I'm not being overshadowed by any feeling of insecurity in the right. moment. And I'm really digging deep into my values and recognizing this is, this makes sense. Right. So how attractive nice. am I <laughs> on that scale? <laughs> I'm a work in progress. I'm, I'm, you know, if I'm being truthful, I've come a long way where I'm still, I'm not going to let a inconsequential thing get in the way of something important to me. But at the same time, I think that there's a lot that I could still do to really be grounded in my values. Do you know that Chase Taub talks about this in one of his yeah. sessions in the parenting course, it, when you're having conversations in front of your kids, is this in line with your values? Like I, and what, how are you imparting that onto your children? Like when you're talking at the table or wherever it may be, you want to share, you want to pass on your values to your children. So are you actually projecting that? And are you, are you actually living that? Yeah. And what would you want your kids to do in that same situation? I really like that, that perspective. It's like, if my, if my child who I love and I want the best for decided to do this under these circumstances, what would I tell them? I love how with you so much comes down to, to parenting, Yeah, you know, like your role as a parent, which speaks to your, you know, so it speaks to your values because that's a big value. Like, you know, that's so important. It's an important value. Wow. Yeah. Okay. My, mine is probably a little bit more simple. <laughs> my answer. Um, yours, yours goes really deep. But this Simply does beautiful. too. Okay. <laughs> what do you think makes a person most attractive and how attractive are you on that scale? Okay. So actually it's from the inside out. What uh, I find most attractive in a person is kindness um, and thoughtfulness. When I see that someone's being really kind and that they are kind and thoughtful, that makes them attractive to me. It's as simple as that. (laughs) Um, How attractive am I on that scale? Um, It's something that I work on too. And I try to be sensitive to to others. And I'm sure there's times that um, I've missed it and I could be more thoughtful. But it's something that I really, I I value. It's one of my values, kindness and um, something that I try to live with every day. You are one of the most kind and thoughtful people I know. So if you're saying that you're working on it, I, I you know, I don't know how much room there is to be more kind than you are for real. Like you're, you're just always looking out for other people, extremely thoughtful. And I, I think a lot of people could learn, especially I'm sure people who 
who know you would, would agree um, that you're someone to emulate. Oh my gosh, well, here it is trying to, <laughs> well, I don't know what to say, but thank you. Um, very meaningful to me when a friend feels that way. And I feel a ditto to you. <laughs> thank you. Totally ditto. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. So next question. But this question came up in the Uber. Um, it kind of came up just through talking to each other, but we're going to actually ask the question. And of how are you different today from when you were younger? Um, the answer to this, and we'll share our answers, is that what actually inspired us to create this platform. It's, it's funny. There's two ways to answer this question. How, how, how am I different from when I was little, like a child, right. right? And how am I different from, there's like a before and after even in my adulthood, right? right? Where I feel like I was in some ways an adult child in my 20s. So I would just say like, what's the before and after, right? So what, how am I different now from the way I was before? And what did I learn in the process? I would say that being in a place that's not ego-driven. What I mean by that is when you're truly in a space where it's no longer about you, how you come off and how you sound and, you know, what people will think, you know, how people will judge you. Um, will they reject you when you're no longer in that space and you move into a space of, of how can I be of service? Something happens. There's a, there's a shift that happens and not something that happens overnight because the minute you're thinking about how others perceive you, you're not present right. because then your future, your, your, that's future oriented. You're worried about what might happen afterwards. Will they reject you? And then you're not present and you're literally depriving yourself of the present moment, which will never happen again. This moment will never happen again. Both Edith Eager and Brene Brown shared this a very similar story of how they were speaking for a big audience. And Edith Eager said someone got up and walked out in the middle and Brene Brown said that there was somebody making like this grimacing face. This happened a few times with Brene Brown, actually. She shared a few stories. They were so, they were in an anxious state of mind that deprived them of the ability to be truly present, which now they are, right? They've come a long way and that's when they really achieved tremendous success. But they were saying like, it's so difficult to be present when you're worried about the outcome of things, what will happen? You know, what does this mean about you? Just don't overthink it. And the funny thing is that people who are always worried about what other people think and how they're going to be perceived by others, it holds them back. It also makes them more likely to get the very thing they don't want. Right. So I think yeah. you, you answered the question um, more about from your early adulthood till now, like right. you probably weren't even thinking about that as a young girl. Right. I was, when, when we prepared this question, I was thinking more of a conversation in the UPA um, where I was sharing how I consider myself lazy as a girl. I was mischievous. Um, I wasn't focused on school. I didn't study. Um, whereas now I'm more in a growth-minded um, space where I do like to learn and I'm passionate about things. I want to achieve um, and I feel like you have that same kind of story in your own way. And that's where we were inspired about each other, that we were one kind of person when we were growing up, more like chill and mischievous. And uh, my childhood friends today, like, they're like, can you please tell? We don't know this. We've got. <laughs> and I, that's, I think that's our, that was our point of connection. Yes. That our friends and, and I have some friends who, several friends who listen to this podcast. So if you're listening. Um, <laughs> Me too. I went from never seeing an A on my report card. Yes. Even having a 4.0 graduate school GPA. Right. Like I've totally transformed in that Unbelievable. regard. And yeah, it's crazy. And, yeah, and also low self-esteem. Like mm -hmm. they're like, where did you get the confidence to do this kind of thing? Yeah. Um, and I feel like you had the same, you know, having the confidence to actually do what we're doing for you to go and study, to put out this platform, the podcast, to, to be a, an ADHD coach. We've, been, we've gone through that whole experience of having ADHD. Right. Um, so we, you and I both entered into a space where we were willing to risk some level of failure and rejection. But the point is, I think we moved into a space of presence. I think it's presence and just like recognizing, look, this is, I feel like um, at some point I felt like I wanted to show myself that I can. We became progress oriented. So anyone who listens to our first episode and then to later episodes, we've heard this from quite a few listeners that even that progress has been ongoing. That we're today significantly, um, I think, more adept. I don't know if that's the right word, but we're, we've more learned so much and it's more comfortable yeah, doing comfortable. this now than we were. And there's no other we were way. We not comfortable. But there's no <laughs> other way to get through that right. initial kind of discomfort 
other than just yeah working through it. Which, so now lead us to the next to the question. question. Yeah, it does lead to the next question. What would you say to your younger self? Okay. Um, Do you want to answer that first? Okay. Um, I would tell my younger self that whatever struggle I may be going through, it may very well lead to my strength. Because at that time, when you're going through the struggle, you're like, what is this going to lead to and why am I going through this? In growth within myself and in being able to help others overcome theirs, if I choose to pull through and deal with the struggle. And also that it's inevitable that life has ups and downs. You know, I don't think we don't realise as our younger selves that that's the truth, that life has ups and downs. And to lean into that, into the times when, when, when those downs, whatever down, it's all relative what a down is, but whatever down we may be going through, to lean into that and expand on the choices that we make and that there's always a possibility to make new choices at different, chases, at, at different stages. Um, and a mistake doesn't have to hold you back. If anything, it's part of the imperfect story and that you can be proud of the imperfect story. And that life, I mean, there's lots to tell my younger self. Life isn't meant to be perfect. We strive towards it, but it's the bumps and twists and turns that make us who we are. And, yeah, to embrace our own perfect story. But if I was going to share something specific, I would say finish things you start because that's something that I didn't do. But even though I didn't finish those things I started, that's what, that, that has made me who I am today. You know, I kind of pushed myself to finish things and to, show myself that I can do that. Um, but if I was going to tell my younger self something, it would be like finish what we started. Yeah. <sighs> right. I love that. You. It's nice to be able to connect the dots, you know, yeah. like when, once you're older, obviously when you're older, you gain more perspective and you're, you can understand your, you, the, the progression of events better. Um, I'm inspired by you to be very specific in this answer. And my answer to this question reminds me of the quote, you know, be the person that you needed when you were younger. Yeah. So you shared that. Love so that. yeah, I shared that on social media. Um, and it's so powerful. So powerful. because even in, in, in anyone who's a parent, you know, is just remember, be who your child needs, you know, be, remember when you were younger, what you needed. And maybe it was different from what, you know, you received from your parents, understandably. So everybody's different. What I would say to my younger self is you have a unique brain and mind and it doesn't work like everybody else's i thought that the fact that i didn't get good grades meant that i simply could not do well obviously i've learned differently now i would just say you must definitely have <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're but getting top grades and you're when you, when when are you graduating you know? I'm graduating in may in okay. may coming to your graduation oh my gosh <laughs> and this year i think you're it's getting, on a, please share with everybody what you're going to be graduating um it's a master's of science in mental health counseling after a long many years juggling different things but i did it slowly slow and steady it was the only way i i was able to meet my goals being a mother and a wife and you know have work and all the things i had to do i mean i, I would say and this is something i think is so important is different is not bad and so beautiful. So true. It was, here's the thing is that I had a teacher, actually two teachers. And I wonder if I should mention their names. Um, well, if they did something positive, yes. <laughs> okay. And what's interesting is I did very well in both their classes, even okay. though I had an attentive issues. And this speaks to the power of educators and being able to really nurture kids. You know, I, I, not to say that I wasn't responsible and accountable, but at the same time, when a child feels valued and loved and understood, like back yeah, like to understanding, saying, say that, yeah. it, it can change so much about a child's abilities, actual abilities mm -hmm. and, and uh, confidence. So not to say that I, all my teachers were terrible. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you have a classroom full of kids. Yeah. Every kid's different. You cannot give individual attention to each one. And anyone who's a teacher, I'm sure can understand this. I used to teach, so I know. I get it. It's the hardest job and the most, in my opinion, undervalued yeah. and underpaid. Mm -hmm. So I'm voting for raises for teachers, for all teachers. Me too. Any educator. That's but anyway. That's going to change in the world. Yeah. But okay. So I'm going to. Yeah. No, are you going to share the names or not? So it was my third grade teacher. Her name was Liba Muchkin and uh, Rabbi Dahan. So those were two. I met him. Okay. I just have to say this. on. Okay. I met him. Mr. Dahan. Rabbi yeah. Dahan. Yeah. He made my daughter Mushka's first Shabbat Brachas, Mushka and Shalom Shabbat Brachas. And he came up to me and he said, 
Ida shared something with me and it made me feel so good as a teacher. I just, I just think the power of words and people, when, when someone does something positive for someone, it should be shared with the person. You told him, he said, Ida told me that I had a great impact on her life as a teacher and um, because I care. And he said, I can't tell you what that's done for me. It's empowered me further as a teacher. And I thought that was so beautiful. I, I, I cannot believe that I had forgotten that it was at your daughter Mushka's wedding where I saw him and his wife, they were standing together. And I immediately, even though it's so not in my nature to just walk up to somebody, I kind of get like shy right. about those things. But, and I was with David, you know, my husband. So I just went up to him and I said, sorry to disturb you. <laughs> That's the best thing. But I want you to know that something that you said to my mother at a parent-teacher conference um, and the way you were as a teacher was tremendously impactful in my life and gave me confidence in myself. He told my mother, my mother, my mother used to come home from parent-teacher conferences crying, literally every single <laughs> crying. time, crying, tears streaming down oh her face. Gosh, I mean, I feel like, like she, she's such a good person. And yeah. I felt like, oh no, like what am I doing? <laughs> and obviously on my end, it was never intentional. I never meant to hurt, you know, I just, it was disruptive in the classroom. Right. And she came home from parent-teacher and she was smiling, like she was beaming with joy. And she said, he's, Rabbi Dahan said that you have a deep understanding of Tanya and Hasidus. Mm-hmm. And she almost like couldn't believe that, you know, <laughs> someone, couldn't believe it, you know, from someone who internalized so many negative messages. Usually most people are hardwired to remember the negative, right? They give you five compliments, one insult, you're remembering the insult. Yeah. It's much more likely. Here it was like, I remembered the compliment. More than 20 years later, I remembered it like it was yesterday. Yeah, amazing. And I told him, and I feel like, you know, it was him and it was and I believe I told Liva Muchkin as well. She's uh, She and her husband are the directors of Ghan Yisrael mm-hmm. um, in Montreal. My son was in camp there. So I so I just told her. How crazy is that? That is crazy. And that he, what, you, what he did for you and then what you did for him later on, you've empowered him further to continue empowering his students by, telling, by giving over their strengths to them and telling them where their strengths lie. Right. And by the way, we interviewed his niece. Who's his niece? The Chabad Rebbetzin of Nigeria. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that's his yeah, name. Oh yeah, gosh, yeah, because her middle name is the Han. Oh my goodness. Okay. Ida, have you ever pushed past your comfort zone and actually seen positive change in your life from it? <laughs> <laughs> All day, every day. All day, every day. Yeah. Um, but, but the beauty of that is that it's kind of like jumping into cold water and getting used to it. Yeah. And then when you're used to it, it doesn't sound uncomfortable anymore. But, um, you know, I, I would say to this is I'll keep this answer short in order to push past your comfort zone, push enough where it's uncomfortable, but not too much where it's so uncomfortable right. that you're going to not do it again. Right. So just small micro risks, I call them. Right. So, for example, I like to me, speaking in public was something I never imagined possible. I was just too afraid. Right. And um, I started in like a smaller setting. Right. Started really at a Shabbos table. Actually, it's funny of all places. That's what we were talking about. Yeah is uh, there's a family here, you know, the Lipsker family has tradition in Bell Harbor of going around the table and everyone shares something. And we ate there several times. First few times I would suddenly disappear to the bathroom. My kids needed me, like, you know, right before it was my turn, my kids suddenly needed me so badly. I couldn't, I couldn't possibly stay at the table. Eventually I kind of came to, um, started there and then we gave a little class at my kid's school. And again, I was the last person in my mind, who was going to do something like this, just didn't seem something like something I even wanted to or cared to do. And, and here you are today. So yeah, I'm saying that's, that's the thing is like push past your comfort zone. Webinars, lectures, podcasts. Yeah. So Rivka. Yeah. So I'm also every day pushing past my comfort zone, but I wanted to give this example because I thought it's a way for us to share a bit more about um, like a trailer about how our podcast came to be. And there was a JWE summit. It was an entrepreneur summit of how to grow your business. And I was looking for, a, I, was, I was looking to learn more on how to grow my business as a health coach. And I wanted to go with somebody, but I thought, okay, I'll go on my own if I have to. And I was scrolling through my feed and um, a picture of Ida came up where she was just launching her multi-role women business. And I thought, I'm going to reach out to her. And it was pushing past my comfort zone because I was like, she might think I'm actually crazy. She lives in Florida for reaching out to her to ask if she wants to come with me. Something in me, I, I knew you, but we weren't like close or anything. But I thought I'm just going to reach out and see in the off chance if she wants to go with me to the summer. And I did push past my comfort zone, even though 
and they have sounded all natural and confident in asking me the question, um, I was pushing past my comfort zone. So that was the first thing I did that to push my, and, and Ida actually said yes, because she was thinking of coming to New York um, for something else. And me posing this question to you actually made you say, yes, you know what, I'm actually going to come to New York. And that's where I met her in the Uber. And when we were in the Uber and we started having this meaningful conversation, um, I said, oh my gosh, isn't it a shame that I didn't record this and, I couldn't put, and I'm, I'm not putting it in my story. Um, we got so caught up in the conversation, we weren't even thinking to record anything. And um, Eva said to me, and this was from LaGuardia to New Jersey. Yes, LaGuardia so had to New Jersey. Had yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eva said, kind of jokingly, oh, we should start a podcast. And um, we just continued the conversation. And three days later, I was thinking about it over the three days, maybe we should start a podcast. And it really took a lot of strength within me, pushing past my comfort zone to text Eden and say, what do you think about that podcast idea? Were you joking or were you not joking? And um, Ida responded to me that she's, I have been thinking about it. So that was the second thing that got me to push past my comfort zone was actually reaching out to Eden and say, what do you think about that idea? Were you actually joking or do you want to do something? And um, we were both thinking the same thing. And then I decided to make it to this Florida, go and visit Ida and put this podcast together. And this, this part was is where I really pushed past my comfort zone because I booked a ticket. I got onto the plane. On the plane, I was thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> Who am I to actually be getting on a plane, going to Ida, putting this podcast together? Why would I do such a crazy thing? Right. But I pushed myself. I was like, something in was like, I think that something really special could come out of this because of our meaningful conversation and that we could get more meaningful conversations, share that with others. And... Um, here we are today. That's what it's all about. Yeah. We were still nervous before we do our interviews with the, the people we're inspired by. Yeah. And through, before every episode, we're pushing past our comfort zone. Right. Yeah. Okay. Next question. I thought of this question. I thought this is a good one to just see how people evolve and change is um, what is something that you disliked in the past that you appreciate now doing in your life? I like that question. How are you treating life? I think, like we said earlier, right? Could get someone thinking, well, what, what have I accomplished here? Anyone could answer this question, right? What did you once not like that you like now? I like it. Yeah. Each question serves a purpose, you know, in a different exactly. way. <laughs> Since you thought of the question, how about you go first? So I could, I actually could think of a couple of things. Um, I'm going to share something physical and something spiritual. So something physical that I didn't like. Uh, like if, if I would tell my sport teacher growing up that I exercise now every day and I inspire other people to exercise, she wouldn't believe it because, I mean, I guess she would believe it because people can change, but um, I used to hate exercise. I was in last heat in um, jogging and I used to especially not bring my sport uniform to school because if you didn't bring it, you had to sit on the side and I, and I would rather do that. I just, I just like swimming actually. And that's something that I still love, but um, exercise was something I hated and I now love. And actually I just want to say that my grandmother inspired me to love exercise because I used to go walking with her um, when uh, back in the day when I was a young girl and about at about 16 and I loved walking with her and we loved our time together. And that actually was my first inspiration to start loving some kind of exercise. Isn't it interesting how you and I once talked about how if you want to start doing something, if you want to take on an additional habit that's hard for you, pair it with something that you enjoy or love already. And yeah. so I wonder if that's part of what got you to love exercise was the fact that you were with your grandmother and she kind of, you know, you associated it with her and that's part of what got you to love it. Absolutely. I really do. I also sensed that she loved it so that, you know, I felt like her joy in the walk and in exercising and that kind of inspired me to find a way to love it. And I just, yeah, and I enjoyed my time with her. So yeah. that was, that's one thing. Um, another thing would actually, another thing is reading. You know, I, I never loved reading back in the day and it's something that I've really grown to love. I'm a slow reader. So you know, you feel like, am I ever going to finish this book? But it's amazing, even like this past year, how many, I've got, a, like you actually told me to do this, Ida, you said, make a pile of all the books you've read and you'll see it builds up to something. 
and I look, I have it on my desk, the books that I've read, and I'm like, wow, I've actually read quite a few books this year. And I try to do, you know, I'll make deals with myself. Okay, this week I have a bit more time in the evening, so I'll read a chapter a night. Or if I see it's a big week, I'm like, at least I should be able to do one chapter this week. And it builds up to finishing a book. You know, I feel like the people who say they don't like reading, what I think they mean is that they don't like reading books that are not interesting to them, right? So right. if let's say you love, um, I'll use my own you know, life as an example, right? So as soon, you know, I love anything, I love reading about anything related to psychology. I was not a reader growing up at all. Um, but then I started to read things that were of interest. So you too. Yeah, me too. Me too. And by the way, I just want to explain the idea of, of putting a stack of books that you already read next to your bed, or even like keeping a list of things that you have already done handy. The reason that that's very effective is because it's we, our minds will often go to what we haven't done yet, what we need to do. And it's, it's usually overwhelming books we haven't read yet. So this kind of gets, it just, just reminds you, well, Hey, just stop for a second and remember how far you've come. And that actually will make you more likely to, to read more if, if that's what you want to do or to do more, yeah, or, you know, whether it's related to reading or something else. So yeah, it definitely does that for me. I have it on my desk, on my work desk. And it reminds me, hey, even though it takes time to get through the book, um, there's a pile of books sitting here and I've learned so much from each of them. Yeah. So what I, yeah, what I do is I, 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 I have a pile of my favorite books that I've already read. And then the one book that I want to either finish reading or start reading. So then I have most, most of the books that are you know, already read. And then the one that I want to read. And I think that's, I mean, look, I, I can't say it's been hundred percent effective because I still feel like I, I would love to read more, but it certainly will make a small difference. I think. Yeah. And just to think back about how much I used to hate reading and, and now I love it. It's, it's really fascinating. <laughs> you never know until you actually immerse yourself and try and explore. That's why it's so important to You're right. say, don't say you, you don't do something until you've tried it. Then you could say, I, I've tried it and I just it's simply not for me, but, right. yeah. and also you don't have to finish every book you start. Right. I'm just saying this from my own experience. I feel like we have, a lot of people have this feeling that if they don't finish a book and they haven't, you know, they haven't followed through, but the truth is sometimes you can just gain from one chapter, exactly what you needed from that book. And then you, or you can just jump around a book. You can read the chapter that interests you the most. You don't have to go from cover to cover. If it's not like a, a novel with a story where you kind of have to follow. You so know? true. Yeah. So true. I'm one of those people that feel like, you know, I feel like I have to read the whole book and you actually shared that with me and that's been helpful. I have a feeling what I'm going to share now, you also can relate to, and that's to Hillim. It's something that I didn't necessarily connect to in the past. And in the last year or two, I'd say in the last year, I've really connected to saying Tehillim because I started saying Tehillim for my daughters to find them a shidduch. And I was listening to a class that my sister, Hannah Herzog in California and Encino, California gave on Tehillim and it really inspired me. And ever since then, in the morning when I'm part of the 5am club, um, I say Tehillim and it's a way for me to connect to Hashem and I really appreciate it now. So Tehillim is Psalms. You know, Rivka, it's, it's so interesting that everything that you're saying, I feel like you've kind of answered the questions for me. So I'm going to forego my own answers because the truth is I had a, my whole life, I had a very hard time with, with prayer, with davening because the words were not in my native language, you know, Hebrew, I can, I speak a little Hebrew, but not the biblical type. And I just, I couldn't connect. And I would say just the basics, things I needed to say at school, I would kind of, you know, do what I had to do. But up until last year, it was, it felt Im nearly impossible for me. And even when I tried, I, I would tune out. And then I, you know, I spoke to our rabbi, our local rabbi, Rabbi, you know, Lipsker, and I was inspired to start saying, just saying a few chapters a day, you know, my families and, and uh, at the time it was Kufya Tess, which anyone who's said to Hillem knows that's, oh, the that's long a long one. <laughs> so, and I made a commitment to start with just, you know, seven, um, but Kufya Tess, which is, 119 was one of them. And it felt like climbing Mount Everest every time I said it. And I didn't think I was going to continue, but I committed to try um, at the end of the day, there's 24 hours in a day and it takes what, 25 minutes. I can contribute 25 minutes, you know, to, to God, right. Something spiritual greater than myself. And what's so, what was so unexpected for me was that now, which is I'm kind of uh, a couple months in, uh, maybe six months, I think 
And I, I mean, anyone who says to him already will understand. Um, and if you haven't yet, um, you know, the best way I could describe it is there's something that happens that is beyond my comprehension, but it kind of, when I do it in the morning, first thing in the morning, it's, it sets the tone for the day. Totally. It allows also, it allows me even on a, on a, some, on a subconscious level to recognize that ultimately I don't have control over the outcome of anything and God runs the world. And when you really, you know, tap into that, you can, you operate at a different level, I think. Um, yeah. So it's really, Rivka, I'm so happy. I, I don't know that I would have mentioned it because I can't say it's something I didn't like. It's just something I I wasn't. Right. I wouldn't say I didn't like it either. It, it, it was just something I didn't really deeply connect to. And it's something that I feel I do now, you know, um, yeah. and, and uh, realize how great it is. Meaning, yeah, I know. I, I just want to add that I started off by saying my girls um, to Halim and then I'm like, I, I gave birth to eight children. I'm going to start saying all of them. You know, it's really nice to take that moment to connect to Hashem. Uh, with your children's chapters, you know, you're connecting to your children in a soulful way. And um, then and with the Shara Bitachon that I was studying, it also said if you, to say the days to Hillel if you want to just connect to Hashem for the sake of connecting to Hashem. So that's something I started recently to say the days um, chapter as well. So one thing leads to another. Okay, so onward. <laughs> I guess I hope this gets you thinking um, in your life to see what's something that you didn't necessarily appreciate that you appreciate now is something you hope to appreciate in the future. All right. So Rivka, next question is what makes you feel alive? <laughs> Fun question. <Yeah. laughs> I actually get like alive thinking about what right. makes me feel alive. <laughs> I feel like this is more a question I would ask, you know, in a family setting. Yeah. But I've actually, my yeah. sister, Rachel, uh-huh. brought, this is where I came up there. I just said, I want to include this question in a group of questions. Um, she came with a group of students and we went around the table and asked each person that question, what makes you feel alive? People were so excited about sharing what makes them feel alive. And it is a way to get to know somebody. Right. Right. And it, and it's, there's no like expectation. Like you have to, you know, yeah. share accomplishments that can get someone like nervous or worried, you know what I yes. mean? Like about how they're, yeah. Okay. Just for fun. Okay. Travel makes me feel alive. Like seeing new places in the world. Okay. I definitely feel alive traveling, which I haven't, I, I, it's something I want to explore further when I get the opportunity. <laughs> um, having my babies, like that moment of having a baby, maybe that's why I had eight, has made me, <laughs> um, has made me feel alive. Um, when I see that I've made a difference in some small way in someone's life, that makes me feel alive. Um, and that, you know, you had shared a quote from Jonathan Sachs where he said, what you want to do meets what needs to be done. And, you know, what you want to do is kind of what, when you want to do something that kind of makes you feel alive. And um, when it meets what needs to be done, like when I feel like I'm making a difference in some way, that that is something that we're needed for in this world, that combination, that right. meeting place is something that does make me feel alive. Well, I think he was trying to say, what is a passion of yours that you are doing and you feel you are needed for and that they actually meet and feel right? Right. Right, where what you want to do meets what needs to be done. Yeah. 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 And um, one more thing would be a meaningful, stimulating conversation like we're having right now. Like, yeah. I totally feel alive. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. And I think I would say that uh, full engagement in the present moment makes me feel alive, which is obviously, you know, when I'm fully engaged, usually I'm doing something that. It brings me joy, like being with my family, especially when I spend one-on-one time with my kids. Um, there's something that happens where, you know, if I put my phone away, we go for a walk. I feel like there's this engagement that I know is so meaningful and important for both of us. Definitely makes me feel alive. And also where I'm engaging in some maybe meaningful work or something I know is helping me nurture um, my purpose and, you know, in this world. Right. So, Yeah. It's a big question. Yeah. And it can be fun too. It's like a, a very, it's a deep question. Yeah. It's a fun question. Um, and it's a stimulating question. Yeah. And I think, you know, we could, you know, anyone can start, you could start with one question yeah, at, yeah. The, at the dinner table this evening, you know, choose a question that you think might be most suited to, you know, to, to the, the setting and then, and then, and then go with it and see, yeah. see where it takes you at. In tradition, 
right? We usually end with a favorite quote or favorite word, right? Yes, yeah, so I, I, when we did our episode, I shared one of my favorite quotes when okay. we did that episode on when you interviewed me on health. Yeah. And it was a quote from Leonard Cohen, which is, there's a, there's a crack in everything. That's where the light gets in. But I, I figured I'd share a favorite word. Okay. Time, just for a change. Okay. So hope, the word hope has always been a favorite word of mine. Like I find myself often saying, there's always hope as long as there's life. And I've just seen so many times how things seem bleak. And it's, it actually ties in with this quote that I just shared. And um, there's an unexpected light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I relate the word hope to just in general, all our journeys and the adventures of the twists and turns of life. It creates like dreams and positivity and, and creativity. And I read something beautiful in Tikhalim, an interpretation when David Hamelach turns to Hashem for help. He asks for it twice. In one of the chapters, it's actually in chapter 28. And it says about hope that it could be read as a means to an end because once we have received what we are hoping for, we stop hoping. But having hope in God is not a means to an end. It's a way of life. Mm -hmm. And David repeats his expression of hope in God to imply this even after his wishes are fulfilled, he still continues to hope. Wow. Meaning it's like about the journey, not so much, yeah, the destination. Um, I'm trying to think of my of a quote that because there's well, I, we have I, lots of favorite quotes. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm a quote. I have quotes all over the place, but I'm thinking <laughs> I, I would love to you know to just kind of think of a quote that's very much in line uh, in line with what we're, yeah. what we're you know what we talked about today. Um, do something today that your future self will thank you for. Mm-hmm. I think that it's all about you know looking to the past just as you know for context, not to dwell on it, but to really learn what it is that you need and what you need to improve on, right? In order to be the person that you were meant to be and and to live into your purpose. Well, we could go on and on, but we both have to go about our day. Let's just review the questions. Quick recap. Yeah, quick, okay. Instead of how is life treating you, how are you treating life? What's your favorite attribute in a person? What do you think makes a person most attractive and how attractive are you on that scale? How are you different today from when you were younger? What would you say to your younger self? Have you ever pushed past your comfort zone and actually seen positive change in your life from it? Do you have something in your life that you used to dislike that you now appreciate? What makes you feel alive? What's your favorite word or quote and why? Have a beautiful day and some meaningful conversations. Until next time. Thank you.